0: Captain, Report. signatures detected. Shields up. <laughs> signatures detected. Better look. Context, Starfleet command. What's happening? Context, Starfleet command.
1: Delay that order.
0: Context, Starfleet command. This is the captain. Context, Starfleet
1: command. Get out of my chair, 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 chair. chair.
0: We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons.
1: Klingons.
0: Welcome to the greatest discovery, the Star Trek Discovery podcast by the makers of the Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Here we are at episode three, Ben three episodes in i don't know if uh i don't know if we know yet what this show is
2: <laughs> No, yeah it could change it could change genre every episode but in the in some ways that is a very star trekky way to go
0: i do like this feeling of being off balance it asks for your careful attention in a way that i maybe haven't given any star trek <laughs> in many years you know
2: as a semi-professional Star Trek viewer, even you haven't paid that much attention.
0: <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, uh, it feels good to, like, go back to Star Trek school a little bit and, like, really try to get this stuff. Pick it up on the fly.
2: We made a grave error in our last episode, and uh, I'm I'm just springing this on you, but I'm, I'm uh-huh. wondering, uh, do you want to uh, write the record and, and give our drunk Shimotas for... Episode 2 of Star Trek Discovery?
0: Yeah, I guess we could do that. Incredible. Drunk Drunk Simota. Simota. I mean, it's hard not to give it to ourselves for <laughs> for being so focused on getting an episode done that we forget maybe the most foundational thing that we do on any <laughs> given show.
2: Our signature segment.
0: Yeah, so that, that feels like a little bit of a cop-out to me, but if you're asking me on the fly who it is, I, I think that would be my pick.
2: Uh, well... I'm going to give mine to the Klingon house lords. They are the heads of, of large and important houses and wind up being really easy to kind of persuade to Takuvba's <laughs> <laughs> cause in this, uh, in this situation. And uh, that's kind of compound, like the, the evidence of that is maybe compounded in episode three, but uh, we can get into that.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great pick by you, Ben, because if, I mean there were there was a lot of information missing from the first two episodes. And I think one foundational piece missing is why anyone <laughs> from any of those houses would feel compelled to step out of whatever comfort zone they have.
2: Yeah, this lunatic just started a shooting war. He seems pretty good.
0: Yeah, like you made a great case about the whole Vogue thing and how like a David Koresh figure is very attractive to people with nothing to lose but the leaders of the of these houses have everything to lose so i, I don't know if he made a strong enough case to <laughs> win them over or not but uh whether or not he made that case uh it was evidently strong enough and uh and now those houses are united yeah uh, one other thing uh some viewers brought to our attention ben was that uh we weren't very funny <laughs> in either episode so maybe that's something we can remember to do this time
2: i uh i was on the verge of being about as sick as i've been in the last 18 months like i was i was like halfway into it when we recorded those two episodes so fuck you whoever said that
0: (laughs) Just uh, You know what? This show feels a lot like our first show, which came out of the gates full of antagonism <laughs> and, uh, and feeling like we had nothing to lose. What do you say, uh, what do you say we get into this one, Ben? Maybe, maybe the jokes will reveal themselves in Star Trek Discovery Season 1, Episode 3. Context is for kings.
1: We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons? Klingons? Don't Klingons? What the hell is going on on this ship? Ship. The slightest
0: idea. And Ben, we we begin here with a little bit of a time jump. We are six months after the Battle of Binary Stars. The thing I noticed right away was uh I guess when you're a Federation prisoner you get to wear uh the logo. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard. It's sort of like being put in prison with a logo that says you're a pedophile or a rapist or something. Like, it really marks you as a target for the rest of the prison population.
2: Michael Burnham is in the kind of, like, the, like, bus at the beginning of The Fugitive (laughs) at the beginning of this episode. And uh, there's some other, like, some, like, you know, hard cons in there with her and, uh... You know, like they they have the classic, like you don't know who that is, <laughs>
0: like yeah, like a great. It feels a little bit Con Air, yeah. Like they they around the horn and then they introduce the Buscemi, and in this case, uh, Michael Burnham is the Buscemi.
2: I also liked that, unlike the bus in The Fugitive or the airplane in Con Air. Like, this is an open cockpit shuttle with just some seating in the back. <laughs> like, the prisoners of in the Federation are treated like children. That Like, the pilot is alone and gets out to deal with an infestation on the hull, and they're like, hey, come back, we're scared now.
0: <laughs> this isn't the first time I'll make this comparison, but this feels like a very dropship in aliens type scene.
1: Absolutely badasses, Let's pack them in!
0: Yeah. I don't know whether that's intentional or not, but it feels familiar in that way. It does. This infestation hits the hull. I guess the pilot dies. <laughs> and Yeah. <laughs> like... You never, this poor pilot gets casted to be the pilot in episode three. And I don't know if you ever see this pilot's face. (laughs) It's amazing.
2: Hella disposable. And uh, there's like some microorganisms that are feeding off the energy of the shuttle. And the shuttle gets saved at the last moment by Starship Discovery, Adam. The ship that gave the show its name. The eponymous Starship Discovery.
0: <laughs> yeah, and we get uh, we get some nice drive around shots of our new ship here. It's yeah. pretty nice. I really like how the show has begun right away with introducing weird format life, like these microscopic life forms that feed off of the energy we're going to see some other weird aliens in this episode later but like this is a show that is throwing down the loaf gauntlet and says no more we are not going to just trot out people with loaf on their heads and faces like people are going to look crazy
2: this life form it would have taken them like 45 minutes of plot in an episode of TNG to figure out what it was and how to solve it like they're done with that in the first three minutes of this episode they are hyper efficient. We board the ship through the, the shuttle bay and the dirty ass convicted felon guys are like, Oh man, there's not a scrape on the on the deck. This is a brand new starship. Uh for brand new, it does not feel all that different from the USS Shenzhou, which is the other ship we know from this world. Like the hallways look very similar. It made me think that, like, maybe they missed a little bit of an opportunity with the Shenzhou to make it look a little more lived in.
0: Yeah, it it certainly was not the Jalopy that we were told that it was at the time. The, the USS Gypsy Cab, right? Maybe the
2: hull plating could have used like a primered section where they're like <laughs> waiting till the fifteenth so they can get a nice coat of paint on there.
1: What's a brand new starship doing so far from the front lines?
2: So this is the Discovery, and. There are some there's some folks from the Shenzo aboard the Discovery. As Michael boards, she gets to meet Commander Landry, who is the angry and aggressive tactical slash security officer. But uh she also like runs into Kayla Detmer, who was right. one of the people on the Shenzhou, and she's like clearly the worst for wear. She's got like almost a Borgs like headpiece holding her skull together presumably.
0: If you're going to live through what happened on the Shenzhou, uh that's probably what you're going to look like if you're human.
2: Yeah. And she also sees Saru who uh, you know, when they talk like he's not especially complimentary to her. Like he's <laughs> basically basically tells her he thinks she's a a liability of a human being.
0: The thing about Saru is that he's not really treating her any differently than he always has. Like, he sort of regards her as a threat to his safety from jump. Yeah. And, th- and by that, I mean in episode one.
2: Right. We as viewers and Michael as a character think that some mistakes got made in there. Uh, <laughs> Saru is, like, holding the grudge, you know? He, is, he does not forgive the mistakes that she made and, you know, says it right to her face. Like, he's, he's very blunt about that kind of stuff.
0: In a way that I think Michael appreciates. Like, uh, Michael Burnham's just as blunt. If she was more
2: self-righteous as a character, this would come off as insulting, but it's more just like two characters going like, you're a piece of shit. Yes, I agree. I am a piece of shit.
0: This this feels really advantageous to a group of writers, too. Like, if you're trying to fast-track uh, conflicts between characters and, and the underpinnings of their relationships... Like, this is great. There's no mealy mouthness about their relationship at all. They have come right out and said what a lot of shows would take three episodes to do in the first episode. Like, nothing has changed. They are as antagonistic yet respectful of each other as they've always been.
2: This episode also has, like, a great, like, when you get to prison, beat somebody up in the lunchroom scene. Because
0: <laughs> <laughs> Why are they allowed to eat with everyone else?
2: Like... They're given real
0: silverware.
2: This is a problem on the Enterprise-D, too. You know, like, every time there's some, like, idiot alien that they rescue from his starship aboard, like, he winds up in 10 forward and causing problems. Captain wants to see you.
0: You get some really nice Star Trek fighting here as Michael fights off the attackers that she rode in on. Yeah. Like... She basically almost kills the guy at the end. Yeah, it's, it's pretty lit. She almost gives him the Dalton treatment from Roadhouse. <laughs> that throat was about to come out. Well,
2: Michael Burnham is of the school that pain don't hurt. Adam. <laughs> this, is a, this is a show where you, you get a ray gun to your head and the captain wants to see you. And that's like a, an appropriate cut to hanging out in an awkward elevator. So she meets the captain and the captain is like, hey, like you're, you've got some, you've got some game. You've got some qualifications. Why don't you uh, put some of your science skills to work while you're here? Like we're obviously going to transfer your ass back to, back to the brig. But uh, while you're here, go ahead and and, uh, take on some duties in engineering. And so uh, the, like, central mystery of this episode is, like, what is going on on the Starship Discovery? Because there's, like, locked off parts of engineering. There's a, a breath print door. I mean, it's it's pretty clear from Jump that Commander Landry is setting a, a standard that uh, Commander Worf will eventually follow, which is <laughs> security is terrible.
0: What do you think of Lorca uh, in being introduced to him?
2: Well, this is uh, the third episode in a row where we've gotten a super close-up on the side of somebody's eyeball. Yeah. And Lorca's, like, our first real shot of him is the super close-up on his eyeball. And the lighting in his ready room is, like, super low because he has some battle injury. He is a captain that plays everything for the dramatic.
0: He's one of the few Starfleet people who have survived a panel blowing up in his face, (laughs) clearly.
2: (laughs) yeah. Yeah, he's got some Cisco vibes to him, I want to say.
0: He also has a standing desk, which is so in right now.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, so in. There's many times in this episode where somebody goes in to see him and the doors open and he's just standing there, like, doing nothing, <laughs> waiting for them.
0: <laughs> he's like uh, he's like an RPG video game captain where, like, you open up his door and he's just ready to talk to you.
2: If you walked out and then walked back in, he would say the exact same four things
0: to you. <laughs> <laughs> Push triangle to talk to Captain Lorca.
1: <laughs> we have been waiting for someone worthy of our attention. Who are you? Have encountered them? Those Klingons?
2: So Michael Burnham is stationed to engineering, where she meets the chief engineer, Lieutenant Stamets, who has a little bit of a speech impediment and is a bit of a dick to her. And uh, she also meets her roommate slash deskmate, I'm guessing Ensign Tilly? Does she have a rank?
0: I was just going to call her Cadet Tilly, and I'm really glad that they named a character after Bill Tilly instead of either one of us. It's appropriate,
2: right? It's 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 hard to imagine that the Star Trek writers room weren't at least listening to our program. <laughs> I feel like they're doing the show at us at this point.
1: <laughs> but then they told me that I was going to have a roommate, and so now I, I guess that's you. And...
2: and and Tilly has like some social differences.
0: She's a nervous talker.
2: Yeah, she's a nervous talker, and you know, like, doesn't necessarily pick up on the same social cues and also doesn't have the same hang-ups as, as people. Because, like, you know, when Michael, like, tries to grab the desk next to her and she does the whole seats taken routine, like, later on she's like, hey, I have to apologize. Uh, I'm really ambitious and I want to succeed here and I don't want people to think I'm friends with you. <laughs> she's really honest about that shit.
0: She also cops to being a snorer who has, uh, who has bed allergies. Yeah, and I thought they would have solved the snoring thing by this point in the future. And she's allergies. not even trying to wear a breathe right strip or anything. You gotta gotta throw a breathe right on there, man. I mean, like,
2: I know a guy who claims that he can solve uh, snoring by teaching you how to play the didgeridoo. So, like, come on, Star Trek.
0: <laughs> we don't have CPAP machines in the future. We also don't have privacy screens for monitors.
2: <laughs> and we apparently don't have like guys that go to Burning Man. <laughs>
0: We see this episode through Michael's eyes. Like, Michael is the viewer's proxy here. She's trying to figure out what exactly this ship is doing, which so far has been revealed to her on a purely, like, need-to-know basis. She gets to engineering, and Stamets is like, here's, here's a floppy disk with some code on it. Go code monkey this shit for me uh, next to the cadet. And we get a nice passage of time Montage here where people just sort of drift in and out of Michael's peripheral vision uh, until she discovers something wrong with the code This episode has
2: some kind of lower decks feel to it Yeah like She yeah. is not a bridge officer and we don't know what's going on on this ship And she's like found things in the code that make her think it's Something to do with physics and other things that make her think it's something to do with biology as she, like, gets closer and closer to understanding what's going on, like, the chief engineer gets more and more hostile to her, to the point where she, like, takes matters into her own hands, steals drool off of Tilly's pillow, and <laughs> sneaks into the secret part of the uh, of the uh, engineering section by, I guess, using, like, a ship-issue breath spray. Yeah faking device <laughs> like it's totally in like a uh, like a foam inlay like why would why would that be there when i pump up my size 13s get support protection and a custom fit
0: i really like tilly can i just say that right yeah. now like like she is so flawed and weird and awkward i you can't help but love her she's
2: she's a a terribly human character in a franchise yeah. that has traditionally not gone this weird with with its human characters
0: that being said i don't know what she's doing on this ship like if (laughs) if being this far out like out there in starfleet on one of its most important ships doing some of its most important work requires the best of the best i'm not sure she's that
2: well yeah that's another thing that is new about this episode as opposed to the previous two is that we are on a ship that is important now right where the Shenzhou was just another ship in the fleet um and whether or not that's true like in the broader context of Starfleet we don't really know yet but everybody on the ship believes that they are on a special ship so they get word that their quote sister ship the glen has suffered a catastrophe and all hands have been lost uh, big whoop. Nobody cares from an emotional standpoint, but we got to go mop up and send a crew to like take the secret things off of the ship.
0: So, gotta tell you though, man, there's there are a few things as effective to me as a ship adrift in Star Trek. Like that approach always gets me.
2: I felt like they could have played this for so much more. You know, like the idea that there are two of this kind of ship and they are working closely with these with this other ship on this on this project and we don't even know what the project is yet and like everybody died on that ship we don't know why we don't know how and like this episode makes no attempt to play that for anything which i can see the sense in that too like the like it would be hard to get up to a like having a feeling of loss over a ship we haven't heard of before but at the same time i feel like uh it is It's crazy that none of the characters seem to have any reaction to the fact that they've lost their sister ship.
0: That's a great point, and the show doesn't even give this moment the dignity of a minor key musical score choice. Like, it it feels just as curious and exploratory and major key as it always has been.
1: What? 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 What's
0: happening? What?
1: What's all this? I'm trying to save you. What is this?
0: You know, like the aliens comparisons in episode three, I think, continue here. If it's not aliens, it's a real event horizon moment of like boarding a dark ship full of crazy sounds and twisted up cadavers. And this should be scary. Were you scared by this? Like scared in a, you know, like scared for them kind of way.
2: No, it felt too tropey to be scary to me. It was so so they board the ship and there's like you know doors that can't close because there's a human foot in the doorway and there's damage to the ship that seems like it was caused by an animal. There are Klingon corpses.
0: This all represents the most gore we've seen in a Star Trek television show or movie. Like this is already more gory than Star Trek: First Contact, which was the only PG thirteen. Star Trek film that we ever got.
1: Why aren't their bodies braided up? Because they didn't die in the initial accident.
0: The human and,
2: you know, Starfleet remains that they find are really, like, warped, and they're either, like, puddles of goo or look like they've gone through, like, the rubber sole filter.
0: This felt like the scene in Alien Resurrection when they walk through the the jars of Ripley experiments. Yeah, yeah, like the kill-me scene. people are just... Yeah, the people are just broken mm-hmm. and and bent. And that is a different kind of horror than than just straight gore horror. Yeah. I found it fairly effective.
2: There's like a like a Klingon comes out and does like a Is he shushing you? You know, holds a finger up to his, his mouth and uh a monster grabs him and takes him and then they're like running through the hallways away from this monster. And that like that was as corny to me as that like monster chasing everybody seen in Han Solo's bounty hunting ship in the new the newer uh, Star Wars movie like it's like why is this in here like what the fuck is this monster
0: That's a great comparison tonally more than anything this this felt like fun yeah versus threatening
2: yeah like like a a a totally radical tone shift from the thing that they were going for before which was like tense eerie gory now it's just like the yackety sacks music playing as they as they race through the ship, and and this is the same ship essentially for all intents and purposes as Discovery. So like like all of the sets that they go to are like the beat up version of the sets from the Discovery, which might feel like weirder and scarier if they'd spent if we had spent more time on the Discovery, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, one thing that you may get if you kick an episode like this a few episodes into the future is like the fear that comes with the familiar being destroyed. Yeah. You know, by not really knowing the discovery as well as we know to go over to her sister ship and not like this is the thing that they did so effectively in in next generation when they when they beam over to that ship that Nagilum sets up for them and it's a <laughs> weird haunted house version of the Enterprise. Right like that was effective because it was so similar but we just aren't familiar enough to get that
2: um and and the thing that kind of didn't work about first contact cuz the borgs have changed the ship but it's not the ship that we know and love it's like a little bit similar you know right this thing traps them in the engineering section and they're which is where they want to be like they want to get the equipment out of the engineering section the like secret equipment out of there. And this whole time, like, Michael is, you know, having a pretty, you know, is pretty much at odds with all of her, her squad mates, you know, like, th- none of them want her on this trip. She's She's been trying to, like, ply the, the chief engineer, Lieutenant Stamets, for information about, like, what they're working on, and uh, that has made him hate her more. But uh, finally, she kind of wins them over by saving all their asses. Uh, she, she distracts the monster as it finally breaks through the doors into engineering, goes up through the Jeffries tubes, and uh, finds her way to like a trap door into the shuttle bay. This is kind of an interesting scene because she's like terrified and crawling as fast as she can to get away from this monster and uh, reciting from heart A scene from uh, Alice in Wonderland
0: Yeah, it's interesting to see her do something that soothes herself Because up until now she has been so quiet and confident in all of her choices You know, when her life is truly threatened Like, this appears to be what she falls back on That's a pretty
2: cool move, you know Like, I don't know if Jordy had a similar character trait, you know
0: (laughs) Jordy's just reading other women's diaries
1: to suit himself. <laughs> we have engaged the Klingons. 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 Don't Klingons. What the hell is going on on this ship? I have no idea. What is this?
2: So she gets back aboard and uh, she's like offered by the captain, like, hey, like, we're going to send those other jerks from the prison ship back, but I have, uh, I've got a little bit of latitude and you could come. You could come work for me if you want, and she's like, "Hey, listen, like, I have done the math on what you're doing here. there's like some kind of physics slash biology research here. You figure that I'm like crazy and unscrupulous and like really lit for going to war because everybody blames me for the war that we're at with the Klingons. So you you see me as like a uh, like a potential hawk that could be." Valuable to your effort, but that's not me, man. Like I was, I was trying to stop that war, and uh, like I'm not about it, so I'm not going to help you develop this biological weapon that you're clearly trying to develop.
0: She wandered in on his grow operation earlier. <laughs> yeah. Didn't didn't say anything before going onto the onto the Glen, mm-hmm. and I think I think that was an interesting scene because she didn't tell anyone what she saw. She just sort of banked it. Much like a lot of what she saw on the ship up until now, you know? Like she's she's sort of weaponizing her intelligence in an interesting way to me.
2: The plot moves super fast in these in these episodes yeah. too. Like she goes yeah. into that into that room and you're just sort of absorbing it before it's like smash cut to her just at work the next day as though nothing happened, you know?
0: Lorca does a fun thing in sort of proving the science to her. Uh he's like, hey, get in this Weird booth I'm gonna lock it from the outside And then <laughs> fill it with these spores I'm gonna send you on a crazy mission Sort of like he puts her in that In that mall phone booth situation That blows dollar bills around her Yeah And instead of dollar bills It's these spores And the, and the science behind it Is that these spores Are sort of like a galactic highway That you can use to transport yourself uh, Instantaneously from one end to the other With and so she sees a bunch of planets before coming back. She seems to get it by the end.
2: He says that the Glenn, their sister ship that they just exploded uh, in space, was going to the Beta Quadrant in back, which means that this is a technology that is like canonically a failure because uh, this takes place way ahead of most of the other stuff in the Star Trek canon. So it'll be interesting to see like how that shakes out over the course of the series.
0: I love how Lorca has no idea what happened on the Glen and still continues the experiment up to the point where he's willing to subject Burnham to to experiencing traveling using these spores. Yeah. Like, what the fuck, man? Maybe take a break on the experiment until you figure out what happened over there? Uh- <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, it seems like he knows more than, than, uh, yeah. than we've found out yet but it does it does like this when he locks her in there i was like is he about to like irradiate like is he about to spock her you know like is he gonna like put his hand up to the glass and she puts her hand up to the glass and then we're gonna have a scene where he blows her out of a torpedo tube and says of all the souls i've met in my travels hers was the most disposable
0: (laughs) What it does is it underscores just how much latitude he gets Being the captain of a ship so far away from home Like, he gets to field promote a prisoner to a crew member He gets to lock her into a booth full of spores Like, he can do whatever he wants out here In a way that that feels pretty fun The possibilities remain as, as wide open for him As they do for the rest of the show, I thought
2: She, I guess, accepts the job we get a couple of little wrap up moments we get a wrap up moment with Saru who I guess we haven't said is the first officer of this ship and is therefore going to have status over her no matter what job she gets and uh he says that he like put her in for that assignment which is intense cuz like that means he kind of like you know stuck his neck out for her despite thinking she's a danger to her ship and he even tells the captain, like, she's the smartest officer he's ever worked with, which uh, I guess probably includes the captain.
0: Yeah, what an interesting thing to say at that exact moment by yeah. Saru.
2: And then there's a, another scene where Tilly finds out that her temporary roomie is going to be more of a permanent roomie. And uh, <laughs> Tilly is uh, is at pains to kind of, like, re justify herself to Michael Burnham, Um Tilly is uh, ambitious. She's going to be a captain someday.
0: As someone who has been utterly honest up until this point, her honesty continues to the degree that she's like, yeah, I couldn't really be nice to you because I have ambition. And being nice to you seems like uh, it would jeopardize my career goals. And Michael's like, I totally get that. (laughs) Like, people aren't supposed to like me here and befriending me could be a bad look for you. So, I get it.
2: As they're talking two kind of interesting things happen. The first is that uh Tilly says that she's read everything on Giorgio, which makes it sound like Giorgio is kind of a legend, which um that doesn't really stack up with how I was getting her character in the previous two episodes. Like she was just another Starfleet captain, as far as I could tell in the previous two episodes.
0: If she was so great, she wouldn't have been assigned to USS Gypsy Cab.
2: Right, yeah. The other big, big banger that gets dropped in this is that uh, not only does Burnham have Sarek as a father figure, but she fucking grew up with Spock.
0: (laughs) What? (laughs) I wonder who had top bunk. <laughs> this is this show is doing such a good job in defining its own identity and yet it keeps like ringing the bell of like of like winking winking to the season viewer and I get it but there's like, like a
2: fucking tribble on uh, on the yeah. captain's desk at one point that tribble I yeah. I was not into <laughs>
0: It would have been cooler if Lorga had a popple on his desk than a than a tribble, and it was just an example of him appreciating late eighties children's toys. A soft, fuzzy ball that turns into a friend. One of the scenes we get towards the end is Saru sitting in an empty lunchroom, watching a shuttle leave, and he totally gets a fear boner at this thing taking off.
2: Yeah, we've seen him cop this fear boner a couple of times now. I guess his fear boner was. What if Michael is leaving? Or maybe it's what if Michael is still here? We don't really know.
0: Yeah, he's ready to take the zero, whatever whatever the reason is.
2: <laughs> yeah. What do you think it sounds like when uh, Seru takes a shit, Adam?
0: <laughs> How many toilets do you think he sits on? Like, <laughs> what, what if he has multiple assholes? <laughs> An elegant daisy chain of of holes. My people were biologically determined for one purpose alone, to sense the coming of death. What? To sense the coming of death. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from, what am I gonna have for dinner, to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to Factormeals.com Trek50 and use the code Trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code Trek50 at Factormeals.com Trek50 to get 50% off.
1: and uh, I recommend it, Uh, it works great. Uh, Trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus handyman electric face shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next gen skin safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off, plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on?
0: Just one more week till Max Fun Drive.
1: Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. This doesn't make any sense. I sense it coming. No. None of it makes any sense. Sounds like nonsense to me.
0: The scene we get at the very end is Lorca and his science officer in a room where there's a bunch of alien skulls, and it, and this is like the, the last and final reference to alien resurrection, which is like they appear to have been experimenting with some forms of life here, up to and including the form of life that was on the glen that they brought back. The, uh, the weird alien stegosaur has been put into the brig, and Lorca sort of teases it. Into the shield. And so we're really getting some heavy Waylon yutani vibes here, Ben. This uh, this alien appears to have a high dollar value.
2: <laughs> yeah, the idea that Starfleet might be a sinister, warmongering entity is, is really kind of being played with. You know, like sometimes that's the only conclusion you can draw, and other times you're like, oh, maybe it isn't so bad.
0: A scene like this... Shows how desperate their circumstance might be, though, because if they are the good don't-fire-first federation of six months ago and have instead warped themselves into the type of armada that would experiment with things that they aren't supposed to in this way, then you could assume that they are losing this war right now.
2: Yeah, and we don't have much to go on. Like, the two big reveals in this episode are that this thing that they're trying to develop on the discovery and formerly on the Glen is a way to warp around so fast that nobody could ever catch them, which would be an unbelievable advantage in this war. And that the reason that, uh, Lorca wants Burnham on his crew is that he thinks she makes, uh, good contextual decisions, even though like she technically broke the law and, uh, took a big fat dump in her previous commission (laughs) like she she was doing the right thing in context uh to his way of thinking and that's where the title of this episode context is for kings came from so adam did you like this episode
0: uh i really did i'm i continue to be really excited about this series when will it turn from excitement
2: to I like this series?
0: That's a great question because my position is like my position of excitement is is of like what's coming. <laughs> it's exciting to be surprised. Yeah. But that shouldn't disqualify my feelings for it, you know, by by saying that I don't like it right now because I do. I'm enjoying all of these episodes as we go. What about you, Ben?
2: Yeah, I enjoyed it too. Um, you know, like I, uh, this episode satisfied some concerns I had that there wasn't going to be enough dorky science shit. Yeah. It seems like they may be going more in that direction now. And I'm not, uh, totally satisfied that the dorky science shit is going to be meaningful in any way. Like this biology and physics are one and the same at the quantum level thing seems a little bit woo woo and, and stupid. But maybe I'll be proven wrong, you know?
0: They're not going to be able to give a science guy like Stamets a monologue every episode that that rides for science. But I do really like the conflict between Stamets and Lorca and how, uh, you know, their conflict is a lot like a modern conflict in the way that science and government don't get along. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited to ride for science and ride for Stamets in in his conflict, in his side of it anyway.
2: Should be interesting, Adam.
0: Uh, Hey, Ben, you want to check our Priority One messages? Oh, yeah, we're doing that on this show, too. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first Priority One message is from Plavim. What? And it is for, it is for Raz. <laughs> message goes like this. My brother, Plen, tells me that you and your girlfriend, Claudette, will be joining us on a sailing trip to Croatia this summer. What? I'm i s- I'm single and never been there before. I hear <laughs> girls are really hot. I just need to find one that speaks some English. <laughs> I've got no responsibilities or obligations and I've got a pretty good game. I'll be elbow deep in Eastern Block P oh, and no. this message gets gets cut off at the <laughs> at the P. Yeah. Uh... Much much like uh, much like Raz will be cut off at the P by uh, by spitting that kind of game on Eastern block honeys. Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, man. together.
2: <laughs> I sometimes think that Plavim is always as drunk as he was when we met him.
0: Yeah. That's that's how I th- choose to think of him.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, good to have Rez and Plavim invading this side of the greatest gen, Geniverse. Um, we have another uh, P1 here, and it is from... Rob Schulte is for Ben and Adam. Uh, seems like that might be the same Rob Schulte who makes, who produces and edits this program.
0: We know that guy.
2: It goes like this. Hi, dudes. I wanted to get in there before any scars exchanged hands. It's pretty great to be working on this show. And although the irony isn't lost on me, I'm happy to send a P1 message saying that after discovery, I hope we can find another project to work on. Oh. And I promise not to fuck this up.
0: <laughs> Jeez, Rob, it's a it's a lot to promise there.
2: Well, uh, I'd say he's got he's he's got one like fuck up available to him that we can't judge him on because we forgot to do <laughs> drunk Shimotas on the last episode, Adam.
0: Rather than promise not to fuck up himself, I want him to promise to cover up all of our fuck ups. Yeah, I like that's... that would be far better use of his efforts
2: that's really what he's here for he's making us seem like not as big of idiots as we actually are <laughs> yeah
0: totally if you're interested in uh sending a message to our greater viewership you can go to maximumfund.org slash jumbotron where personal messages are 100 dollars and commercial messages are 200 dollars. they're a great way to ensure the ongoing production of our show thanks guys thank you hey ben
2: what's that adam
0: Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda in this episode? Incredible! Drunk
1: Shimoda!
2: I did. I'm going to give it to the one Klingon that we see (laughs) uh, because (laughs) he does something that is so incongruent and crazy which is just hush them right before being killed. And, you know, like what we know about Klingons is they want to die in the heat of battle and that's like the most honorable way to go. But this guy doesn't really die that way he he kind of dies in a senseless killing where he could like either have attacked those federation people and died honorably or grabbed one of the batlets that was lying all over the floor and tried to take out the monster, but instead was just acting like a creepy weirdo for horror movie reasons.
0: That's a great point. I don't get the sense that he died honorably at all. no. Just like I feel like everyone else on that ship died. Like we didn't get the event horizon scene where they load up the log and we see like, oh my God, like people like puking in the corner after watching it. I hope we get that in the next episode because that is going to be crucial.
2: They torpedo the ship and and like, uh, I think it's Landry is like, wow, what a shame. And Lorca is like, just a ship. It's like, no, man, like there were tons of people on that ship.
0: Yeah. Pretty dark. I mean, are we supposed to like Lorca? Or does the last scene in this episode betray the idea that that he might be the enemy and people like him?
2: Even more than the last scene the scene where he says, just a ship, makes me think he might be bad news bears. Yeah. Uh, how about you? Did you have a drunk Shimoda?
0: It's hard to give my Shimoda to anyone but Tilly, who <laughs> just... And she may have the most dialogue in the episode, just by virtue of the speed <laughs> that she speaks, like her nervous speed. I really liked uh she was also the one I felt like who was acting the most out of the like the sine wave of Starfleet attitudes that you get on a ship is very like that wave is very close to neutral, and she is like all over the place in a really fun. Uh, bipolar-ish kind of way. I like her, and I hope she sticks around. I don't think she she's gonna make it to captain. Let like let's just be clear. I'm, I'm you don't think she's got her. captain material. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Uh, not only that. Here's a here's a bet I'm gonna put out there. First character to cry on screen. Mm. I'm gonna give it to Tilly. And by that I mean like full like chest heaving sobs. You mean like, like ugly cry? Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you never right. want to be the person who cries at work, and I think Tilly's going to be the first to cry at work.
2: I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a a much longer odds bet. We go Lorca.
0: <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Man, that is like, uh, that is like plus sixteen hundred. Yeah, that shit is going to pay out Lorca. big.
2: You know, like yeah. I didn't put that much money up, but if I, if I'm right, I'm go I've got a little payday <laughs> in my future.
0: All right. Well, we'll put two bets on the board in what might be one of our uh, one of our segments here, regular <laughs> segment, on the greatest discovery. Ben, do you have any uh, any notes on what might be in store for the next episode?
2: You know, we don't have much, but uh, there's a little, you know, like coming up, and it implies that uh, that they're going to be engaging in some combat coming up. So,
0: you don't say. I don't think we'll ever get an episode without uh, some ship-to-ship phaser fire.
2: Yeah, so that, uh, that's, I mean, it seems to me that the stuff we saw in the coming-up-next reel last week was compiled from stuff from across the season, but was largely from this episode that we just watched, so...
0: Right, uh, right.
2: Perhaps that's the, the thing going forward. The next episode is The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lambs Cry. That'll
1: be
0: next Mm. week. All right. Well, looking forward to that, Ben. The Greatest Discovery is a MaximumFun.org podcast hosted by Adam Pranica and Benjamin R. Harrison, produced and edited by Rob Schulte. Music by Adam Ragusia. Head to MaximumFun.org slash donate to support the ongoing production of this show. Please use the hashtag GreatestGen when discussing the show on
2: Twitter. You can find Ben on there at Benjamin AHR and Adam is
0: at Cut for Time. And make sure to check out the Facebook and Reddit groups to continue the conversation. MaximumFun.org.
1: Comedy and culture. Artist owned.
0: Listener supported.